CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by LexisNexis Litigation Solutions. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And while you're at your computer listening, like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and make sure to join our conversation on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and at CIO Talk Radio. And also look for this show using hashtag innovation. Today's topic is driving practical R&D and innovation, and our guests for today's show are Mike Kowal, who's the Senior Vice President and CIO with Long & Foster. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for having me on this morning. I look forward to uh, a great, uh, great conversation. Great. So are you done with your Christmas shopping yet? Uh, haven't even started yet, but uh, you know, we're in technology, so the online world for us makes it rather easy. All right, so let's see what you bring and how many dollars get spent wisely, right? When it comes to Christmas, people just let go. So uh, this is awesome. I'm sure I'll be contributing to the economy this year uh, quite (laughs) nicely. Very good. And also we have Mayur Raichura, who's the VP of IS at Long & Foster. How are you, Mayur? I'm doing great. How about you, Sanjog? Very good. So are you buying any good, cool electronics and boy toys? Yes, I'm definitely buying quite a few of that. So uh, like Mike said, I'm also contributing, hopefully contributing to the economy during this uh, holiday period. Very nice. So while we do our Christmas shopping, uh, we also have to take our business along and make them more successful. And that's why we say, let's do some, you know, bring some innovation into the picture. Let's get a leap ahead of our competitors. Let's get some sustained growth and profitability. With all that we are saying we want to do, do you think it can be done in a very predictable manner, which typically the management wants? So, Mike, let's start with you. Uh, first of all, I think this is an absolutely wonderful topic, and it's, it's, it's nice to be able to start talking about innovation again uh, versus, you know, a lot of the, the day-to-day, you know, keep the light and heat on, blocking and tackling basics that we have to do in the technology arena to ensure our systems are operational. And when you start talking about innovation, uh, it certainly gets my blood boiling because I, I really appreciate it and enjoy it very, very much. Um, it, it goes without saying that there's always going to be a gap between what we uh, in technology uh, want to do and like to do as far as creating new tools, creating new toys, creating new software, creating new services uh, versus what leadership, senior leadership, and, and the, you know, the overall management side of the, of the house uh, have expectations on. And so you know, there has to be great communication between the two parties, um, certainly having the ability to articulate uh, tangible results to show them that this is, isn't such a, just to go in a corner or go into the basement of the science building, if you will, and just come out with some kind of neat toy to show them that there's going to be something valuable uh, to them, to the users of the organization, the customers, is e- extremely important. Uh, sometimes it's very hard to do because, you know, the ideas don't necessarily, you know, have a direct connection to, to dollars. Um, you have to, you know, really, I think, spend time to, you know, create those, those touch points uh, but it, it is something today in this organization particularly, we've just come off of a, a four-and-a-half-year 
very difficult time in, in, in residential real estate, and, and the light is somewhat at the end of the tunnel right now. We see it, and we are in an improving environment. Uh, our senior leadership, particularly our finance uh, arm, is expecting and looking forward to seeing much higher levels of articulation and documentation uh, and proof points that any dollars invested is going to have a real return. Uh, not, it is a little dissimilar to how it was in, in, in the past. I mean, before there was a bit of a leap of faith and trust. Today, um, you have to have a, a much, you know, higher level, you know, documented process that uh, that both finance and our senior leadership team buy into. It is a, it's new for us. Uh, but, um, you know, I think that's going to become the standard in this organization and certainly in other industries that I've been uh, involved with in the past. Now, Mayur, uh, when you look at uh, the same question, do you think that people have started relying on IT a little more to say, okay, we want to innovate and not necessarily in IT, but primarily business which IT enables and say, show me two ways where you can bring that innovation. And when you give them an idea, they come to you for ROI where you're more of an enabler versus the driver. Actually, that is very true. Uh, In the last three or four years, as Mike said, because of the uh, financial uh, doldrums that the industry was in, uh, we found that some of those ideas, if they were there in the organization, they really didn't, didn't come out uh, out of their minds and came out in the open. But I'm seeing more and more of that uh, ideas that have been coming to IT first because what, what the organization realizes is that for any such uh, innovation to take place, they really need the, the technical arm in, in most cases, not all cases obviously, but in most cases to – to support them to do the innovation. So very recently I had a two of our uh, leaders in the finance team came to me and said one of the things they wanted to innovate was to do some transition of uh, uh, cash between uh, partner organization in a much more uh, streamlined fashion. And instead of first going to the, the business leadership, they first came to me and said, uh, what can we do? What do you think we are capable of? Uh, before we even take it to the next level and actually begin the process of innovating the whole thing. So I'm actually seeing a lot more of these coming to IT, at least in our organization, where the initial question is asked of us and say, what are the possibilities? What do you think the costs are going to be? Give us some idea of uh, uh, capabilities of the the systems or the people or, or the process and tell us some ideas about time. So I'm definitely seeing uh, that it's becoming more and more um, common now than it was probably a few years ago. Although it was when the times were great, uh, that did happen, but they really went into hibernation in the last uh, few years. Now, uh, as Mayur mentioned, Mike, uh, in the uh, innovation life cycle, when we look at the ideation phase and then you are validating it and then you go through the rest of the phases, especially with ideation, do you think there is a vacuum in which typically business works or maybe they do not have a true think tank and a progressive uh, mindset? I'm not trying to basically uh, reduce the thunder of what business brings to the table. Why is there the innovation mostly even is initiated from a technology side or other places besides the very business which is uh, positioned to gain from it? Uh, that's a That's a very good question. And I think and just in my experience um, in my current life here at Long and Foster and then previous lives as a consultant, you know, for many other organizations, I think the that, that truth rings in the sense that, you know, businesses and, and their operational roles have 
problems they need to resolve. They have requirements that need to be identified. They, they don't necessarily bring to the table the kind of creativity that really resides within the, the, the IS competency set or the IT competency set to, to look at a problem and, and be able to identify kind of the, the, not just one, but a number of different solutions uh, in, in a very creative and a, in a, in a sometimes literally you know, designing from scratch. So the idea of ideation, you know, creating these, these new ideas, these new solutions, um, I just, you know, I have not come across the, the type of business user set that brings those, you know, answers. What they do is they, they bring needs. They bring, I have this problem or I have this idea to, to make this better. I, I think I can save money if, if my processes were, were more streamlined, more efficient, more integrated. And, and then it becomes the, the IS job. A lot of times, you, you know, you, you get the capabilities where the IS team comes in and says, all right, we see what your what your problem is. Now here's two or three different you know solutions that lever uh, potentially business process improvement, business process change, systems, you know operational efficiencies improvements. Um, sometimes a whole brand new piece of software. Now I could give you dozens of examples here and at Long and Foster Organization where a business leader came and said, I you know I'd like to make this more efficient. I need to make more money. I need to reduce my costs and we came up with, with solutions and, and gave them options uh, of which um, most of the time they were, they were adopted, put into place, and then, you know, having the, the appropriate way to, to track um, their overall successes. I just don't necessarily see it. It's not that, you know, maybe it, it doesn't exist in some organizations, but certainly in this organization, we get the, the, the needs, the problems, um, but the, the technical solutions and the ideas are, are really, they germinate and, and come out from the, uh, the IS department. It's just a talent that I think um, this particular competency set has. Now, with what Mike just said, Mayur, the question is, first of all, let me congratulate on the smartness or the overall capability of IT in your organization and many others. That's why business respects and that's why they come to you because they feel that you can help solve. Now comes the point that you may do the best that you know, but what about looking at it to the looking at at other places where people are formally groomed to look at a business problem, structure it, separate out what the uh, you know important pieces versus the frills pieces are, and then come up with the solution. And then while while they do it, while they play the leading role of doing that, uh, you know, splitting apart and coming up with the solution, get IT involved because yes, IT can come up with solution. I can get my grandma to come up with a solution about a business problem. I'm not saying that IT people are like grandma, but do you think the solution that is actually created is the best solution that it can be, or did we leave something out from your due diligence process just because we solely relied on IT people to help come up with a solution? So uh, the, this is a good question, uh, depending upon what organization you're asking this question to. So for example, in organizations such as ours, um, it depends where the talent uh, sits in terms of how problems are looked at and how they are solved. That's number one. Number two, uh, how well is IT, or in, the, in, in our case, we don't call ourselves just IT, we call ourselves information services, how well is IS integrated with the business? So that, that's the key decision uh, any organization or any set of people are going to make. Where is the competency level sitting? Is it only sitting primarily uh, in the business itself and then they come up with ideas and therefore they also come up with solutions? And then they go to IT or IS to validate uh, if the solution's uh, uh, correct or is it the right path they have to take. 
uh, or uh, come up with some new ideas that, that the folks from IT may have. I think in our organization, what we have seen and the way we are structured, that a, a very large portion of our people who work in IS are actually embedded, if not physically embedded, but on a process level embedded with the various parts of the organization. So what happens is the talent pool that sits in IT, and again, as I say, it depends upon what organization you're looking at, um, we are able to actually see, evaluate, resolve, and ideate and innovate uh, solutions to business problems that often happen and often are shared with us at the ideating stage, at the, at the creation stage, rather, at the, rather than at the uh, execution stage. So with us, we believe that since we are more embedded uh, with, with the business community, uh, we are also in a very good position to actually come up with uh, solutions to whatever the, uh, the challenge or whatever the innovation idea or, or innovation process is. Um, that is not always true. In, in some of the talent within the organization, they have in, uh, good quality, good quality talent uh, that may have the idea and also have the solution and they present to us and say, how do we actually go about doing this? So, again, the answer is uh, it depends. That, that's, that's, I think, the answer. But the key to that is the quality and the, and the embed, embedding of the staff uh, of IT into the business. If it's very close to the business, then I think uh, what we say it actually is more true. If they're not as close to the business, then I think it's a different process you have to follow. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and when we come back, let's look at the very resources that are available and are provided to all people concerned, maybe business or IT, to really carry out uh, the innovation. And yes, incremental innovation, building better mousetraps or doing things which are going to not really shatter the, the previous uh, mindset and our previous set of processes and create unprecedented value. We're talking about disruptive innovation uh, where you are trying to make a difference in a significant manner and it does you can make a business case for all that you need money but for all that you do not have any upfront proof that whatever investment that we're going to make is it just going to remain a sunk cost or you're going to get some predictable outcome so how do you build a cat how do you build a business case how do you ensure that whatever is being presented you've got the necessary due diligence done so that it is reasonably assured if at all possible so let's explore that when we come back please stay tuned When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Take control of e-discovery with flexible, integrated solutions designed for early data assessment, processing, document review, and litigation presentation. LexisNexis offers comprehensive solutions that work together as well as with other industry-leading tools to help you maintain a seamless chain of custody throughout discovery. Most of these solutions can be offered in a hosted environment with access to fully customizable support resources dedicated to your success. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. 
Welcome back. So my question for you is that now, even when the economy is showing an uptake and there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but we really don't have as much play money, if you will, that is available. Uh, so when you have to show a business case or build a business case for a disruptive innovation, do you think management will still ask reasonable assurance of its success? And if at all you say, yes, it's going to work and it doesn't work, can you say, oh, since I did not get all the resources that I needed, that's, that's why the team was not able to deliver what it is. So what, what's the mindset at both ends, the people who are giving money and the people who are taking in, then showing the results? Well, you know, you're right in the sense that while there is an uptick in the economy and and, and in our industry in housing, residential real estate, we're certainly seeing improvements. You know, we're still in the mode of healing. We're not healed. And there's still a a number of significant issues out there that we have to address from from an economy standpoint and just from an industry standpoint. So when you get down to, you know, wanting to do a new project and, and have something that potentially is going to be very disruptive, you, you've got to be able to identify all the different facets um, and all the different players that are involved. I mean, is it something that's just internally being grown? You, know, you want to build a better mousetrap, you want to do something this, or is there external influences? Is there a competitive nature and something that, you know, either a direct competitor or, you know, an interloper is coming to to play here that says that we're going to, you know, put something up that may uh, potentially in, impact your business, um, impact your customers and such. You know, our organization is still in a place where, where dollars are very, very precious. Um, you know, our budgeting process is, you know, is, is, um, is harsh. It's, uh, it gives us, you know, far less than we think we need to to operate effectively, and that reduces your ability to, to spend money on, on new projects, on their, their appropriate staffing. Uh, I, I firmly believe, in, in not only in this company but any organization, that you know, l- using the excuse of not having enough resources, that is not going to work any longer. Um, you, know, the, you don't go into a project uh, knowing you know, that you don't have enough resources. Um, good project management, like you know, PM 101 says, if you don't have the resources, if you don't have the organization's commitment, if you don't have the talent, you do not start. Um, you know, going into this thing with, with a hope and a prayer Know, isn't this, isn't a, an appropriate strategy for success? So, you know, when you get the uh, in front of the leadership and you present a, a potential project you want to do, and you show them, you know, how this is going to impact the business, and they buy into it and they give you the dollars, it's up to you at that particular point to to see it through and, and ultimately execute on on what your promises are. Um, and coming up with an excuse of not having enough, that's just not going to work. Mayur, how much of this investing in uh, R&D and innovation do you think still, no matter what we do, will remain faith-based or a leap of faith-based versus due diligence-based? To what degree can you really make it practical, not only for the people who need to shell out money, but also for the people who really are investing their blood, sweat, and tears to make all this happen, realistically, practically? Uh, practically. Actually, I... I... Answering, let me go through a little bit of theory before I answer the practical aspect of this question. I read an article uh, some time back uh, by uh, two gentlemen, uh, Bansi Nagji and Jeff Duff, and they said that if you look at any innovation activity, uh, taking a variance of the Igor and Soft's matrix, uh, this guy, mathematician, came up with this matrix for product development, they said, do you look at three different ways or three different types of innovation projects, the core projects, we are doing a better mousetrap, as you described, uh, Sanjog, uh, just making a better mousetrap for the same customers and making the process better or a product better. 
the second one is adjacent uh, uh, innovation, which means you're trying to do something on the margins, and uh, you talk about how you're going to improve some product or come up with a new product to capture an existing market or increase your share in an ex- existing market. And what we are talking today is the transformative R&D or transformative innovation. And while it's important that, that when, when you do any of these type of projects that you have some metrics and you have some expectations and, and you have a reasonable uh, chance of success, only those projects that are in the first two, the core or the adjacent type uh, innovation projects, only those projects essentially would ever have a, a, a ability to present financial metrics to say there is a possibility of us doing very well and therefore there is a percentage of chance that we will actually be successful and therefore these are the potential revenues versus the potential cost. When you come to transformative R&D or innovation, I don't believe and I actually completely agree with those two authors that there is no physical way to actually tell the, uh, the management or the people who are allocating the dollars to say I guarantee success or I will make sure that this has success, because any transformative project, which is essentially is disruption or creation of new markets, uh, cannot have that guarantee. So for those kind of projects, uh, what I would think that, that you have to look at non-economic or internal uh, type metrics to say, if we achieve these metrics at this point of the, of the innovation, which is transformative, uh, then maybe we should continue with the project to its end goal. Uh, for example, a non-economic measure would be by doing this project, is the organization has, got, has learned something and gotten uh, better at what it does today. Now, if you meet some of those internal metrics, then, then maybe you move now into what I call the, the true uh, final uh, phase of the innovation, where, yes, the management, the folks who are allocating the dollars have a right to ask us and say, okay, now what do you think? You've reached these stages. Now you're in this final stage. Do you believe that there is going to be a, a chance of success, and therefore, if so, what is the chance of success, what is the rate of uh, return, what is the ROI, and so on and so forth. So it all depends uh, uh, what type of project you are doing. So if you're doing purely transformative, I would say it would be very difficult to assure the management uh, that there is going to be 100% guarantee or a percentage guarantee that the project will succeed. So I think that's the, uh, the, the adult conversation you have to have depending upon what project or what type of innovation you are engaging into. Now, Mike, imagine you have the checkbook. Right. If you were to. Yeah. And and you have many times checkbook for the initiatives that you have. But think sit in the business seat and you you suppose go back based on what Mayur said that we would like to support you with disruptive innovation. Maybe it's based on the need that you came up with, but we cannot guarantee results, but we're going to try and we'll try our best. What do you think would go in your mind sitting in the business seat as someone coming to you pitching that while they have all the intention to help? But there is no true uh, accountability towards the result or nobody uh, basically holding the baton and also be committed enough. I mean, how would, how, would you, how would you put faith in a statement like that and, and well, really invest? I mean, if, if you go back probably in this industry, go back five or six years ago, um, there was a, a lot of acceptance of, of projects based on just simply conversation and because the, the state of the industry was, was so profitable and, and things were going very well, we were talking about 2005, 2006, and, and in the very early 2007 time period, you know, decisions were made basically by just a, a quick meeting. Um, today, it's a vastly different process. And when you look at 
know, the conversations you have. And I, and I, uh, what Meyer said a few moments ago, I, I, I believe is, is also is very true. It is next to impossible to articulate um, to that, that senior leadership team that you are going to make a dollar for every dollar you spend. There's, there's just, with some of the innovation that we're talking about, you know, a lot of our, our innovation that we're doing really is, isn't designed to generate revenues, but designed to reduce expense. And so that's taking it from one direction. Um, it's very, very hard. I mean, we, we sit in meetings all the time where, you know, our online arm of the organization wants new websites, wants new tools, new software, and, and comes up with, um, you know, certain performers and, and you know, and, and basically, you know, creating expectations that, that are never achieved. So, you know, one of the things that, that IT and IS has to do to, to get some of these things through, first of all, you've, you've got to build an amazing track record, which will ultimately, you know, build your trust factor between the organization's management and your department. A lot of that comes from the, the basics of what IS will do, you know, keeping your network's operation, keeping your data safe and secure, keeping your users happy. And so, you know, that builds a trust factor. Um, you know, if, if the if management decisions are on projects as far as the green light, red light, you know, process are solely based on what a, um, a budget and pro forma um, are going to be presented to them, you know, you, you probably wouldn't get the second project ever done because it's going to be almost impossible to be very accurate on those things. You're, you're forecasting. That's really what you're doing. Um, and it's, there's no science, there's no exact science that's going to say to you that, you know, for every dollar I put into it, I'm going to make a dollar twenty-five back. You can hope. I mean, you can create strategies, but a number of other you know components are involved in this. It's not just an IS piece. I mean, you're going to have marketing, training. Um, you've got your PR department. You've got all the other components that have to be aligned perfectly with these projects. And, and IT can deliver the most perfect project, but if there's misalignment in the other areas, that could cause. The, the project to, to not ultimately achieve its, its main goals. And at that particular point, you know, who's at fault? So you've got to be very careful, um, and you have to have great conversation and education with the, the senior management team about setting the appropriate expectations for what the, the tool or service that you've ultimately uh, just delivered. Uh, it, it's, it's far more complex, and it really requires excellent teamwork and excellent communication. Now, Mayor, how many times would you say no to a request from business, they say, let's put this option and uh, tell me what would it take. And then, of course, you bring back options to them. And then you also say, based on our due diligence, while you're saying you're going to get, but I don't see you getting enough value, so let's not even do this. Uh, I, would, I would say no, only after I, I would do what you just described, Sanjog. And it does happen to us uh, quite often when, when somebody will come up with, a, with an idea and we will do the evaluation, and, and, and when we look at the whole uh, process and any expected rate of return or any savings, as Mike described, the, the reduction of cost, um, we may say often uh, no because the idea may be either too expensive for the rate of return or the impact to the organization is very low. So I don't know if there is an answer to how many times I will say no, but I will definitely not say yes just because uh, somebody comes to me and says, oh, this is a great idea I have. Uh, it, it does happen in a, in a given time, and I haven't done the metrics on that uh, uh, any, any time in the last uh, few years. But I would say at this point, about half of the things that come to me uh, may go back into the uh, onto the drawing board and, and not forward. 
the other half uh, go to the next phase. It doesn't mean that the other half get approved uh, ultimately. But it all depends um, uh, what comes to me. Now, if I were at a much at a different uh, perch and looking at things differently, I would look at some of these requests and probably break down for an organization in some kind of a ratio and say, well, what kind of request is coming to me? Uh, is it is it a request to just do some core changes to our core products and kind of do incremental stuff, or is it uh, something we're trying to get grab some new markets or some new customers or a new customer segment, or is it really transformative? Um, if you, if somebody had an R&D budget, if I had an R&D budget, which I was in charge of, and if I had the checkbook, uh, I probably wouldn't say yes to transformative projects that that uh, cost the overall um, uh, R&D budget any more than 10% of the whole thing. So 10 or 15% would be my take. But if I was in the business of uh, uh, providing uh, medicines or creating new drugs, then of course the whole number would be, you know, uh, change on its head and probably I would put uh, 70% or 60% of the money or 50% of the R&D budget for developing new blockbuster drugs, which is definitely transformative. So the answer would be, again, as I said, it depends. But in our industry, where we come from, uh, any transformative project that is that costs any more than 10 or 15% of the overall such uh, a cost, I don't think would fly the muster. Let's take a quick break, uh, listeners, when we come back. Let's talk about the fail fast and fail cheap uh, mantra that is uh, floating around nowadays because they say we don't have the time, we'd want to learn whatever from our mistakes as quickly as possible. But now when you want to make disruptive innovation, will this particular mode work? What type of innovations or research and development efforts could be done in a fail fast, fail cheap way? What's practical again? to make sure that the end value is delivered. Let's explore this when we come back. Please stay tuned. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Take control of e-discovery with flexible, integrated solutions designed for early data assessment, processing, document review, and litigation presentation. LexisNexis offers comprehensive solutions that work together as well as with other industry-leading tools to help you maintain a seamless chain of custody throughout discovery. Most of these solutions can be offered in a hosted environment with access to fully customizable support resources dedicated to your success. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Uh, welcome back. So, Mike, uh, fail fast, fail cheap. Not the first time you and I have heard this mantra. And when when we want to do R&D and you want to do those small little tests, it works. But then you want to do enterprise uh, level innovation and research and development, which brings some sizable value. Do you think that mantra holds ground? Um, I, I don't my 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 gut tells me no uh when you're dealing with something that's uh that's small and and easy 
you know, you can, you can rapidly do something. But when we start talking about, you know, corporate-wide, enterprise-wide solutions, you know, fail, you know, fail fast, fail cheap, fail fast, fail often. Um, you know, I always like to say, you know, buy junk, buy twice. Um, you know, is really what my mantra has always been. I, I think when you start looking at these very big projects, it's to to, to not do it. Um, in the correct fashion, you know, and, and, you know, I'm talking about the appropriate steps within the life cycle of, of project development and, you know, through, uh, through ultimately through its execution. I, I think you're going to put yourself into um, a, a very difficult and, and, um, and more times than not probably um, a very risky situation than if you would, you know, do it correctly. Uh, I think you can accelerate projects. I think you can do things, them smartly. I think you can do many tasks in, in parallel, but to to take the idea that you know every failure is one closer to a success. Um, when you're talking about enterprise-wide solutions, probably isn't the best mantra. I don't, you know, this we've talked about this thing a number of times, and it, it pops up. But I, I firmly believe uh, in, in the philosophy: if you buy junk, you're going to buy it twice. Do it right the first time. You know, have the right, you know, the right resources. Um, you know, go through the right processes. And the organization will will achieve its goals when you have a successful implementation. Um, you know, learning is, is is one thing, but you know, getting the, the lift from what you've just uh, implemented and, and put in production—that's really where you'll um, receive the, the greatest uh, you know bang for for your efforts. So I'm I'm not you know, I'm not adverse to it for small projects, but the enterprise level, I, I think it really is um, probably not the smartest way to go. Now, Mayur, what do we then do about the patience levels of the people who've invested as well as the people who work throughout that initiative and then many people transition in and out? And and eventually, when we have had those huge ERP implementations and other initiatives fail, people surely sign their pink slip themselves. That do you think? Yeah, so, so that's also the other, the darker side of of handling this so definitely mike has a point that you cannot kind of pull things out in willy-nilly and hope that you'll get those innovation items so what, what how do you strike the balance if at all we need to strike a balance so first thing i'll say um that that one has to look at the culture of the organization and say is the organization where a fail fast fail cheap is how the organization was actually built so they came up with a lot of innovative products discarded 90% of them, and maybe 10% of them succeeded, and they were all blockbusters. Now, that's a venture capital firm mentality, and, and some firms absolutely have that uh, uh, mentality where they will have a bunch of failures. But I don't believe that any fail-fast, fail-cheap, especially if it's publicly uh, seen, is going to be able to sustain for too long in any organization. Um, we recently had a, a, not an example of fail-fast, fail-cheap, but an example of a project where a failure would sometimes not be an option. Um, we recently had an example where we had uh, all our offices who were receiving commission uh, checks and commission dollars. Uh, those dollars would physically, uh, in terms of checks, would you know, come to a central location to be processed, etc. And we wanted to change that culture where those checks and those dollars would be deposited, first of all, remotely in the remote locations of our company, number one, and then all the data would be integrated into a single system or two systems where the, these checks or these dollars would be processed and paid out back to the agents. Now, here's a project where we could have taken a strategy of trying that with one or two small locations 
and see if this project would succeed and try to see the fail fast, fail cheap uh, strategy uh, would kind of give us any results. And when we looked at a project of that nature, we could have easily done that, but we chose not to. We said this is a project that has definitely tremendous impact to our, our bottom line and to our cost in a positive way, and we really cannot afford to, to test this fail fast, fail cheap. Now, did we do a small test to make sure that the, all the assumptions were valid when we did the project? We absolutely did. Now, if you look at from that perspective, will it, can it be called as a fail fast, fail cheap? Maybe you can. However, the intention was not in those kind of projects to say, let's see if it fails. The intention was, let's do it in a small way so we know what things we need to learn so that we can roll it out on a much larger scale. And then, and then we did. We actually rolled it out at a much larger scale where today close to 85 to 90% of all our incoming revenue for, for those type of transactions are completely electronic uh, from our remote locations into a central location and then processed and dispersed uh, within 24 hours. Now, that kind of a project, while may be able to sustain a fail-fast, fail-cheap, but if you have too many of them, I think that would uh, remove the trust factor that Mike was talking about uh, from the uh, folks who are uh, judging you or are working with you. Uh, and if you can't keep doing that, uh, and if you do, you're absolutely going to sign your own pink slip. Now let's introduce another one that Steve Jobs used for himself and his organization, and, and we can all see what he did with that organization, which is Apple here. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Do you think that kind of a culture is a must for today's uh, day and age, or is that uh, select companies which could either choose it uh, or, or, or that's only relevant to them? If they really wanted to do something practical, something uh, which is going to bring relatively predictable results. Mike? Well, I think we all wear more than one hat. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm very aware and, you know, remember his, uh, his speech distinctly to uh, the Stanford crowd. And, yeah, it was a very moving speech uh, from obviously a, you know, maybe, maybe the greatest innovator of our time. Um, and I personally, in my own way of, of operating, you know, I believe that there's a, a bit of his DNA that's been imprinted on mine as far as what we do. So, you know, stay hungry, stay foolish, you know, be a little crazy. Um, there's, there's a factor I refer to it internally with myself as sort of my insanity factor. You know, and when people describe me, one of the words I'd like them to, to use it actually is to say that I'm insane, not that I'm crazy, but that I come up with these really innovative, you know, very artistic type of, of projects. And I, I think we have to have that in our business. Um, it is not all that we are. There has to be a, a disciplined approach to it, almost a engineering or scientific approach to what we do. So we're very disciplined in, in, in our processes. But at the same time, you have to wear that second hat. You have to be able to have a certain amount of creativity. And, and not all people are going to be equal on this. Some people are, are far more creative than others. But to to be able to in this industry, and I think it's one of the greatest gifts uh, of the you know the IT industry, is to be able to go into a, a place and to create something from nothing, to literally dream up the the next evolution, um, the next disruptive change. To me, is one of the greatest gifts, and it's frankly why I'm in the business. But I firmly believe that you know uh, people, uh, whether you be a, you know help desk technician all the way through the CIO of an organization, you you have to have that second hat. And you have to be able to create and design 
what what frankly yesterday didn't exist and and what tomorrow becomes the standard and and what just a year from later becomes uh, obsolete. I mean, that's the the level of innovation that we should be bringing to the table. And I think overall, uh, I think IT has been able to do that. I mean, you know, led by guys you know like Jobs and and Gates and and Ellison and and Bomber and the and the rest of the people from you know, other industries. It's this is what drives this this business. And so much has come out of it, not just in, in the, the, the fact that the desktop is way faster, but in, in engineering and medicine and, um, you know, just throughout the, the entire process. So you, you got to stay hungry, and I think having that as a, a part of everybody's uh, second hat that they wear, uh, to me, is a, an incredibly important facet of, um, of our business. Uh, Mayor, if you were to look at uh, R&D, what it was done as traditionally, it was a siloed function. Now you got everybody wanting to know what's going on and also wants to contribute. How would you change uh, the approach, the way this R&D or innovation function operates so that you are not paralyzed by the analysis of all that incoming data that's coming in at the same time? You just get just about enough data for you to make an informed decision as you go about uh, going through this innovation process. So looking at the R&D process that has been around for a long time, I guess, in the industry for about more than 100 years, and and you're correct that there there was very much a siloed function. Um, If you look at today's uh, businesses, the transformations are not just happening because somebody in the R&D department came up with some ideas. As a matter of fact, many businesses, uh, many, many businesses, which are not product-centric, uh, may not have an R&D department. So the innovation culture uh, has to permeate in the organization for it to be successful in, in doing those innovations. So one of the first things that I would do, and we are doing actually here, is actually listen uh, to all the ideas and actually have a process to evaluate all the ideas that come from various part of the organization, various segments of the organization. And these ideas can come for cost uh, reduction. It can come from come for increasing our margins, come for trying to get into new markets or improving the, the segment, the, the, the market segment that we have. So one of the ways that I would look and I have looked at to, to improve or increase innovation for any organization is to truly listen to the people who are embedded uh, in the businesses. I recently read an example of uh, Samsung. When they began to think of innovation, they did not think about 10 years ago to create simply an R&D department. They were in some small place in Seoul, uh, outside of Seoul in a small city where the R&D department was uh, located. And when the CEO of Samsung uh, looked at his organization, his thinking was if people are going to be sitting in the silo somewhere outside the main place where the culture hub and the talent hub is, uh, innovation probably won't take place. So he moved those folks back into the, the center of Seoul where the, where the talent was existing. Uh, existing. The, the, there were outside firms who were in the business of uh, creating ideas and design. And in the last 10 years, we have seen how Samsung has transformed itself from a probably a company that we knew to a company that definitely is in the forefront of our minds now with all the innovative products, the innovative design uh, they have done in the last 10 years. And, I, and when I read that entire process, what they did, what I came to learn is that they looked at every single uh, organization within Samsung and looked for folks who really wanted to, to add or, 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 or change products and services 
that Samsung was offering. So in today's world, even if you're a product-centric company, just to have an R&D department that is sitting on the side and doing something, I don't think is going to necessarily bring the results that the organization is looking for. It has to be between your internal talent, uh, external suppliers, uh, organizations that provide design and, and, and ideas that, that work with you, uh, those organizations, those kind of uh, approach or that kind of approach can actually help change the whole culture and actually bring innovation from the far fringes of the organization rather than just from an R&D department. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, Mayur used the word culture, and that's going to be the question that we will uh, pose when we come back because that culture is what affects what uh, is going to happen with respect to R&D and innovation in an organization. And then what is that we could do to identify if the organization is ready? And if it is not, then what steps we take to make it ready? How do we evaluate the maturity level of the organization or lack thereof? So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Take control of e-discovery with flexible, integrated solutions designed for early data assessment, processing, document review, and litigation presentation. LexisNexis offers comprehensive solutions that work together as well as with other industry-leading tools to help you maintain a seamless chain of custody throughout discovery. Most of these solutions can be offered in a hosted environment with access to fully customizable support resources dedicated to your success. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, culture, the magic word, uh, and it, it, uh, it is what you could sometimes inherit. You can develop it, but then at all times, if you are at least playing an integral part in making R&D and innovation happen, then you have to do something about it. So, Mike, what do you think would be a good process for an organization uh, to, to kind of uh, take on where it is a due diligence to ident- identify where do you stand with it? Is it truly ready? Where the gaps are? And if there are gaps, what kind of gaps really would be crippling? And if those gaps actually exist and are demonstrated, how do you get hold of them? Loaded question, but love to hear from you. Well, I think culture uh, and, and tradition, I think, play a huge part in this organization and and other ones I've been in, but let's let's speak particularly of, of of Long and Foster. I mean, as a residential real estate company, it's it's you know it's founded and its fundamentals are are very conservative, very practical, um, very sales you know associate oriented. So you're dealing with you know, a huge population of, of salespeople. It is. You know, it's remarkable because in this organization, I, I, I couldn't even begin to, we could have a whole show on just the culture uh, and how unique it is. 
Um, a lot of decisions in this organization have traditionally been based on reactionary and emotion versus, you know, using a disciplined approach or using metrics or numbers. Now, that's changed. We've, um, you know, we've gone through some significant change over the last three and a half years, an entirely new leadership team in here uh, that is bringing a much more traditional, you know, the fundamentals, and particularly the fundamentals wrapped around fiscal responsibility, economic discipline, and, and making decisions based, you know, really on, on numbers uh, versus your gut. Uh, however, uh, I think, you know, an organization has to have some of that. I mean, decisions, particularly some of these, you know, these innovative uh, you know, changes where you've really come from left field with a really unique and new idea, sometimes you have to go with your gut. So, you know, while you, you do as much as you can with, um, you know, your organization's traditions and culture, um, the, the, your gut reaction has to play some part in it. You know, I think, in, in, and I can speak specifically of, you know, some of the changes that we're trying to do, you know, bringing some new technology uh, into our sales offices. We have a, a distributed sales office, um, you know, through the, the mid-Atlantic area of the United States, uh, bringing newer technologies in there. Something as fundamental and as and, and simple, and sometimes you'd almost would, would you know, laugh at how, how simple this topic is, making a conversion between fax machines and copiers. I mean, something that nobody wants to talk about in IT because that's boring and, and, and silly, and moving that to an all-in-one, an MFP, when you're dealing in the numbers of thousands, having to buy thousands of these units, and we're talking millions of dollars in, in, in hardware investment, that's a huge change. And, and the culture of this organization says you have to have a copier, you have to have a fax machine, you have to have something traditional. And, and, and IT comes to the forefront and says, no, there's new devices, new technology that can, can collapse all of these features and functionality into one device that saves money, it's that traditional thought and conservativeness that says you can't do it. So you know, that, that's a simple example of, of some of the things that, that we have to do. Obviously, it's no fun. It's not sexy because it's a, dealing with a copy machine. But the realities of it, those are a lot of the projects that the organizations have to deal with. And, and again, that conservative, traditional you know, culture says this is too much of a change. It's, it's too drastic. No one will appreciate it. The reality of it is you do it. And your self force says, why did it take you so long to get this new device in here? I can't believe we've never had this before. So sometimes you have to see it and feel it. And once your, your, your management team actually gets their hands and, and can see something happening, they, they open their eyes up. And, uh, but that just goes back to culture. Culture is a unique thing. And organizations across uh, the industries and certainly ours here, you, know, you can write a book about how, how unique, unique they are. So, Mayur, if you were to uh, ask business uh, users and or executive management appointed questions, what do you want us to do? Besides, of course, you coming with ideas, we somehow coming up with solutions, etc. But in this whole R&D process before and during that process is carried out, what do you expect IT's role to be? Where do you think we are working well and where we are doing something less than desired? And where do you feel business could do better to help you help themselves? Well, the management of the organization is going to ask IT essentially one, or should ask, and I believe they do ask now that question, is one question. And the question is, are you doing everything to enable and help the businesses that you are working closely with to be more successful? So I don't think any CEO of the company is going to come to IT and say, what can you do 
so that we have a, a tremendous amount of new products and services coming out. I, I don't think any CEO looks at an IT organization and says, this is my innovation arm, and this is where all the fountainhead of all the ideas that are going to come from. Generally, their question is, is the business getting value? And there are, you know, in, in our business, we have uh, six uh, major business lines. And then the question to each of the major business lines is, is IT providing the value uh, services, value-added services for them to be successful? And what I have seen is that if, uh, when you go back to the organization and say, these are the kind of uh, innovation activities that we want to do, if we go simply as us, just being IT or IS, I think the, the impact of those conversations is much, more, much less than if we go with the same ideas and the same strategies with the business. So if I present something to, the, to, to anybody in the organization and say, these are some things that the business wants to do, and the business leader is sitting right next to me or, or is with me in that conversation, I think the, uh, the entire conversation is received in a very different light. Um, for any, for us in, in, in IT, we may have great ideas. Uh, sometimes wonderful ideas spring from the projects we do, some of the activities that we do. But those ideas cannot be taken to anybody in the organization in, in, in a vacuum and say, oh, this is what we want to do because this is what we figured out. It has to go through the business. Sometimes that business may be an internal uh, department, which is not really the, the, the business forefront. It could be you know, accounting. It could be marketing. Uh, they are not actually businesses by themselves. But any idea to transform anything or even internally transform a few processes, that has to be paired with the, with the right business leader that is outside of IT and then presented uh, for it to be implemented or evaluated. And I think if you take that approach, uh, I've always seen that the, uh, both the acceptance and then, then therefore the adoption of, of those uh, ideas is much quicker, uh, giving actually the budgetary priority is actually very easy. Uh, we recently had a very good example where our, our, our property management division was operating on a software which was about five to seven years old. And when, when we were looking at some of the products and we wanted to go something in the cloud, SaaS-based models, the, the, the lead was taken by the business leader saying that, I want to change the, the process, I want to change the software, I want to change the underlying system, and here's what I want to do, and here's the product that I, I would like to support. And with our support uh, for integrations and, and, and reporting and business analytics and intelligence, uh, the whole process was actually better adopted, better received by the, uh, by the folks who, was going, who were going to decide on, a, on budgetary allocations. And the, and the thing moved much faster than an average project would move if it just came from IT. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thank you so much, Mike and Mayur, for sharing your thoughts on how to drive practical R&D and innovation within an organization. Thank you. It was our pleasure. Thank you. And uh, listeners, if you have any more comments, please share us, share with us on, uh, you know, on, on, on Facebook and our Twitter based on hashtag CTR live or hashtag innovation. And also, of course, if you want to write an email to us, send it to views at CIOtalkradio.com. That is views at CIOtalkradio.com. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. 
Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sunjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by Citrix, offering go-to assist, remote support made easy. CIO Talk Radio was brought to you by LexisNexis Litigation Solutions.